Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this evening's 5 by 15 event with Nina Stibby and Kathy Rensenbrink. You're all in for such a treat this evening. Over the next hour, our speakers will be discussing Nina Stibby's new book, Her Seventh, Went to London, Took the Dog. Ten years on from her beloved multi-award-winning debut, Love Nina, Went to London, Took the Dog is a diary of Nina's return to London after two decades away. It's both hilarious and irreverent joyful as well as poignant and we can't wait to hear all about it. Nina is in conversation this evening with the acclaimed memoirist Kathy Rensenbrink whose books include The Last Act of Love, How to Feel Better and Write It All Down, a friendly and down-to-earth guide to writing a memoir. Kathy regularly chairs literary events, runs creative writing courses and speaks and writes on life, death, love and literature. We're so pleased to have them both with us tonight. Remember that you can order yourself copies of our speakers' books from our independent bookselling partner, Newham Bookshop, and information about how to do that will be posted shortly in the chat. We'd love to hear from you this evening, so please do submit your questions for Nina in the Zoom Q&A box at any time during the conversation, and we'll get to as many as we can. Without any further ado, Nina, Kathy, welcome. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jack. Thank you uh, very much, everyone. Hello to all of you on the webinar. It's extremely nice to see you all. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to Nina for being here with us. So welcome, Nina. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. Am I light enough? Yes, I think so. Well, anyway, let's just go with it. I don't think we should start fiddling with your light <laughs> at this stage of the event. True. <laughs> um, so uh, you've been on a whistle stop tour of the nation um but you're now back in cornwall tell us how how's, how's it been being out and about it's been lovely i've been everywhere i've been to up to edinburgh wales i've been up north i've been in the southwest i've been everywhere it's been great and um i've been visiting bookshops of course and all i hear is oh kathy Rensenbrink, <laughs> kathy Rensenbrink. Because Kathy used to be a bookseller, so they all know you. That's very nice. Um, I'm now encountering people who have who have encountered me in the pages of your diary, and that's very that's very interesting for me. Anyway, so let's um, start with perhaps. Um, would you just tell us a little bit about Love Nina, your first book, and then how it led to this? Is it fair to say kind of accidental sequel? Yes, it sort of is a, a sequel. Um, so the first book, Love Nina, um, was published 10 years ago, but it was about my time as an au pair to Mary Kay Wilmers in London. So it was me having left Leicestershire and, and rocking up in London, age 20, to live with a literary lady. And of course, that's exactly what's happened again, uh, except it's uh, Cornwall and I've it's a different literary lady. Sorry, my dog's on a chair and she's she's rocking. She's slow down. Um, this, is, so, this is Peggy, who's in the dog, and indeed in the title, who's in the book and in the title of the book and on the cover. Yes, the real Peggy. The real Peggy. Um, yeah. So tell us how you came to go with. Uh, tell us about this. So many years after Love Nina, yes. then, you decide to go back to London yeah. and take Peggy with you, and yeah. what? happens now. So this was 2022 in the spring and I'd been my kids have just recently left had just recently left to go to university in London we'd had the pandemic and 
and people had left and moved on and people were doing new things. And I was beginning to feel a bit isolated and a bit unmotivated in Cornwall. Um, and I'd go up to London for a work thing. And the minute I'd get to Paddington Station, I'd feel myself waking up and uh, feeling alive and quite, you know, culturally awake. And so I thought, well, like, what would be really great for me is a couple of months in an Airbnb, um, writing, blah, 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 seeing the kids, seeing a play, etc. And I looked at some Airbnbs and I realised I couldn't afford it. So I put it out of my head. Mm-hmm. Then in, in the March of 2022, I went to a publishing party, my publisher then Penguin, and I met uh, a stable mate, um, a writer called Satnam Sangira, and I asked how he was. He said, I'm about to leave my lodgings. And I thought, lodgings, that sounds really cheap compared to, <laughs> compared to the things I've been looking at. So I asked him all about these lodgings, and um, he'd been living with, as a lodger with the writer Deborah Mogark, the, the best exotic marigold and lots of other books and plays and so on. And so I said, do you think she might want to let me lodge with her for a little while and bring bring my dog? And so that's how it happened. And he put in a good word for me. I slightly knew Deborah anyway. She lived in the same street as me when I was in the Love Nina days, when I was living in Gloucester Crescent with Mary Kay Kay Wilmers. So I'd, I'd met her a couple of times. So I wasn't a complete stranger. Anyway, I had a little interview and I got the gig. She has a little mention in Love Nina as well, doesn't she? Yeah, she does, yeah. So, um, yeah, so then all those years later. And how many years, what is the gap? So the first time I left my, you know, rural home, I was age 20. And I went to be a a nanny, an au pair, because I couldn't go to university because I didn't have any O or A levels. So it was my way of having an adventure. Everybody else was was leaving to do university and stuff. And this time um, that I was age 20 then, this time I'm age, I was age 60. So it's exactly 40 years. Mm. Um, well, not exactly, but, you know, near enough. Yeah. So off I went. And in lots of ways, you haven't changed a bit, have you? I don't think. No, not enough, actually. <laughs> I wish I had changed a bit more. Yes. <laughs> And tell us, because you, I think you you write a diary, don't you? So you were writing a diary. Tell us at what point you realised or it became clear or you thought that the diary might become a book. Okay, so yes, as you say, I write a diary anyway. I don't sit in my nightcap with a candle on, you know, writing with an ink pen. But I have this app on my phone, the Notes app, and I have it going all the time. And I sort of have it for novel uh, research and ideas and bits of dialogue that you hear on the bus type thing. But I decided that I would write a, a much more concerted diary for this period of time because I thought I really want to look back. And so I was I was more sort of methodical about it, but I was just writing away. But I was writing for me. I wasn't writing for uh, my sister as I was in Love Nina and I wasn't writing for publication. I didn't think I was. Um, the first when I look back, there was a little hint early on that that the book, that the diary might be published. And that was when, after a couple of weeks of living with Debbie Mogark in this house in Kentish Town, my editor, Mary Mount, was a bit concerned. I mean, she was, I think she was pretty shocked that I'd made this big move. Um, she'd been publishing me for 10 years and I'd never done anything unusual before. And come on, Peggy. 
Sorry, Peggy's whining. I don't know why. Do you want to get up? Maybe it's because she can hear my voice and is missing me. She thinks I'm on the phone. And, and normally if I'm on the phone, I'm walking. Um, she, thinks, she thinks, why are we, why are we still in? Um, <laughs> there we go. There's Peggy. Um, there she is. So go on that chair. There we go. So um, I met up with my editor and she said, oh, my goodness, what's going on? What's it like? You know, how is it living with Debbie? And, you know, how are you? And I said, well, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the whole thing is just really weird. And I gave her an example. Um, I said that earlier that day I'd been looking for sellotape. Obviously, I don't know where anything is in this house. And Debbie was very rarely there at that time. And um, I was searching through drawers and cupboards and I came to this really grotty drawer full of, you know, Rizzler papers and screwdrivers and spiders. And there was this horrible little moldy box and I opened it up and there's Debbie's OBE medal. <laughs> and I was, I was really shocked and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, she's an OBE. And I'm not usually impressed by that kind of thing but because it was a real person that I lived with and she was my landlady and also I've been having really negative thoughts about her I've been thinking why does she keep all this ornamental garlic that's now infested with flies can I chuck it away um and I thought she deserves that garlic I'm just going to be much more respectful and I sent Debbie a text and said Debbie just found your OBE and she replied as if she could read my mind good maybe now you'll respect me <laughs> so I told that to my editor and my editor said, I realised when I look back, said, I hope you're writing all this down. And of course I was. But anyway, I still didn't really think I'd publish a diary um, because I was you know, supposed to be writing a novel. But then about six months into this year, my editor did say, can I have a look at that diary? And so What's interesting for me is that the diary is in two halves. It's the half when it was authentic. It was just me sitting on the bus, on the 24 bus with my dog saying, oh, just saw Debbie come out of bargain Botox <laughs> or, you know, something about Liz Truss or something about going to the laundrette. So that was just my life. I mean, I was slightly doing it to delight myself later because I know that diaries can do that. Um but I, I wasn't doing it for all of you. I was doing it sort of for me. And then and then it changed. And, you know, I can't deny that it did change. So in the first six months, Debbie might say to me, my landlady might say to me, would you like to come out and see an absurdist play where they throw toilet paper at you? And I'd say, no, why would I? And the second six months, I'd be like, yes, diary. Um, my daughter tried to get me to go on an electric scooter. First six months, no way. Second six months, I'm thinking, well, yeah, I'll do it. I'll maybe take a bus on an electric scooter on Camden High Street. That's okay. <laughs> so it did, it, it, you know, half and half. See if you can see the join. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, would you like to read us a little bit from it? Well, I've got a little bit that I read that's about Debbie. Um, so remember, will you, that I moved in after Satnam Sangira and he'd lived there for probably about a year. And Debbie really liked Satnam. She she didn't ever call him Satnam. He was darling Satnam. And, and they obviously had a great time together, even though he clearly let all her shrubs die because I had to prune them hard to bring them back to life. <laughs> but anyway, so... 
Debbie loved Satnam, and this is very early on, and this is when I was just writing the diary for me. 10th of May, Debbie came back singing the praises of Satnam's new flat, and especially his new extendable hose pipe. 12th of May, new hose pipe has arrived. Debbie reads the packaging gleefully. Impressive at full expansion, spray gun with seven functions. Once fully expanded up to three times its original length. Debbie used new hose front and back. 13th May, Debbie enjoying new hose. 18th May, Handyman tells me to never leave the new garden hose engorged. You must empty all the water out, he says. They can't stay like that for long. Later, I pass this information along to Debbie and she tells me she knows that. She read the instructions, but she's never managed to get it to go limp. It just stays engorged for me, she says. <laughs> I saw her the other day and I said, how's the hose? I mean, obviously <laughs> the, hose, the hose is now 18 months old. And um, she said, oh, it, it hangs in the garden, Nina, very limp and forlorn. <laughs> Tell us about um, Debbie and um, all the people that were, are in the diary and asking, uh, did you ask for permission? I mean, being a bit ridiculous because I'm in the diary, so I know how you did it. But for the sake of our dear audience, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more um, about how that worked. Yeah. Well, obviously, um, I, I'm in the diary a lot and I'm very candid about myself, but I have to say I'm equally candid about everybody else. And everybody else is my friends, old friends that I've hooked up with again because I'm back in London, people like you that I've met in the last 10 years who are writers. And there's and there's quite a few quite famous people. I mean, much to the S Sunday Times reviewers' disgust, I am now one of them. I'm not the little ingenue, you know, writing about these people not knowing who they are. But also, I, I I know that from the success of Love Nina, that I do need to crowbar these people in as much as I can. So Alan Bennett, whether he likes it or not, he's he's in. Um, but of course, yeah, I did have to um, ask permission. And um, people have been incredibly game um, and generous and, and mostly not minded. Um, I did wonder, I wondered about Satnam because he's a very serious journalist and writes about very serious issues. Um, and I worried about entries such as, I remember I'm in his bedroom and I'm in his bathroom. He's he's fresh out of there and then I move in. There's an entry early on where I say, finally thrown away Satnam's loofah. <laughs> I thought he might say, you know, yeah, I, I don't mind being in this book. It's fine. But can, can you not have my loofah in it or or, or denying it's his loofah? Um, but he didn't. He was fine with it. Um, and I think on the whole, people have quite liked seeing themselves. One of the things I've done, it, and it's not a deliberate thing, but I've done it because it's who I am. I haven't said, I haven't written entries about writers like you or Nick Hornby or Debbie Mogark or whoever, whoever I've been having dinner with or meeting. I haven't talked about how clever they are at writing dialogue or how well they write female characters because that I don't see that as my job. My job is to say that 
Nick Hornby's favorite vape flavor is mother's custard or that you keep, you, Kathy Rensenbrink, have worn the same navy blue tabard three days running, but with a clean vest every time. Uh, I think that's my job. And I, I I was sort of given that job when, when Love Nina was published because I accidentally had done that. I was living all those years, many, many years ago with Alan Bennett and Jonathan Miller and Claire Tomlin and all those very eminent people. But because I literally didn't know who they were, I wasn't saying Alan Bennett's cutting edge television, isn't he wonderful with his wonderful relationship with Patricia Routledge. I was saying Alan Bennett turned up with a watercress salad, uninvited. You know, that that was what interested me and it still does. So I, I yeah, maybe maybe some people could have been uh, uncomfortable with that, but but they weren't. There was one, one person wasn't very comfortable with a tiny little incident and I was quite surprised but then I've learned over the years that you can't predict what people are going to like or mind or feel uncomfortable with you you it, it you can't presume you can't assume you can't guess and uh it's another I mean I find it a fascinating thing just of itself actually what people don't do and don't mind other yeah. people knowing about them because it isn't easy to I don't think it's at all easy to predict is it and no one of the things I, I found it very uh sort of intellectually stimulating which again I, you'd never let me say that with a straight face in the diary would you You'd just kind of I don't know take the piss of something else I was doing at the same time I wouldn't take but, the piss I might be a bit mischievous about it oh yeah um take the piss is probably a bit not quite on the nose of what it is you do which I haven't fully worked out except that uh, it doesn't feel unkind, but it is kind of, oh, I don't know. It's like looking at it a bit sort of skew if. But I found it very interesting myself, what I did and didn't mind about. And actually, well, I mean, maybe it's not that unusual. Um, maybe, but I found it such a privilege, I think. And when people have asked me about it, which they do, I just say like, who in their right mind would turn down being stibbied? You know, it's kind of, I feel it's like a, it's like a caricature or something, but it's like, you're this sort of amazing kind of comic artist. And I think, I mean, I just feel that if you if any, if you take an interest, then it's kind of like, yeah, all right, <laughs> off you go. And then I'll sort of slightly live with the consequences of people misunderstanding me or, or probably just being really disappointed. Because, well, it's you know, funny because I am most talking about time. you specifically, the one thing that you have minded is that I, I, I've had you buying a nail varnish that you probably didn't actually buy. You probably looked at it and we talked about it, but you didn't buy it. And just lazy shorthand, I've said Kathy bought a, a nail varnish. And <laughs> given all the other things you get up to, uh, it is so you know you never know. And um, I remember I in in my first novel, which is very much an you know an autobiographical an auto fiction. Um, I my mother was very concerned that. And this this has cropped up again and again with people I've written about where it's the real person. They don't like being seen to have a cleaner. They don't like it. They will say, oh, no, even Debbie, I mean, circle of trust. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie said, oh, can you say handyman, not cleaner? And I thought, well, gosh, I, I don't know the difference. I'm not posh enough to know the difference. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't you can't assume uh, my friend Stella who's in the book quite a lot. She lives in Scotland, so she's not in all the time because she I, she was only in it when she was either texting me or was visiting London. But she 
One of the first things that happens to her in the diary is her interuterine device is lost. And, and a nurse at the GP says, I think it must have fallen out. And Stella says to me, I'd know if something fell out of my vagina. And so that, and I thought, well, Stella won't go on social media at all in case she gets cyberbullied. She won't even have a nectar card in case somebody steals her identity. But she was delighted to have her Marina Coil discussed at great length. So yes, you never know. Mm. That does seem to segue us on neatly into sort of vagina territory, as it were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole narrative arc, and possibly, is it fair to say, almost like the only narrative arc is around mm. um, uh, HRT, I guess. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, well, um, when I first arrived in London, all the things that I hadn't really noticed about myself in my other life that had been creeped my other life that I've been living for so I've been living in Cornwall for 20 years in in two different houses but you know largely in the same house with the same people all the sort of things that had crept up on me were suddenly very evident to me so um for instance on one of the first days in London I was walking my dog and she picked up a chicken bone off the street which is a a thing in London and you don't really have that in Cornwall so much it would be a pasty a much safer food item um and um I had to fight to get it out of her mouth and I did a bit of wee and I realized that I'd got this symptom of HR of menopause sorry and so I was very interested in these new pals that I was hanging around with including you I was interested in where they were at on the menopausal journey and whether they were weeing themselves or feeling angry or feeling sad or, you know, feeling lacking in confidence or whatever. And so I became very interested in that. And I wrote about it a lot in the diary. So I met up with a friend that I know quite well, but I hadn't seen her very often because she lived in London, I lived in Cornwall. And so I was suddenly saying to people, do you wee yourself? Why are you sitting on that carrier bag? And they say, oh, because I've got a cough. And I go, yeah, but why? And, and it come, yes, they're weeing themselves. Um, and some people very up for it and open and, and were on HRT and wanted to talk about it. And other people were completely in denial and they were saying, it's just age. I now smell of sugar puffs, but it's just age. Or, you know, I, I you know, want to stab my husband, but... I'm not worried about it because I don't think it's a menopausal thing. Um, and then when I realised that, well, then when I was going to be publishing the diary, I went back over the previous months that I'd written more authentically just for me. And I thought, do I still want all this stuff in here? You know, there's my mother's stabbing pains up her vagina. There's my friend Fiona's bulging prolapsed uterus. There's all that stuff that goes on with women that normally stays behind a curtain so I didn't know what to do and I I looked at the diary without all that and I realized there wasn't much in there you know I needed it and as you say it does provide a bit of a a nice arc as and there's an inciting incident in November albeit by then I did know I was publishing the diary was when my landlady and I bumped into a neighbor Kate Muir the the women's health campaigner and uh, Deborah just said to her just out of the blue because they were talking about estrogen um Deborah said um 
would would a blob of estrogen help Nina stop peeing herself? And Kate Muir says, yes, it, it would probably, yeah. And so let us, no spoilers, Kathy. <laughs> um, I think, and sorry, I'm going to be earnest now. I think, so I really enjoyed all that in the diary. I enjoyed, I enjoyed reading it because it's funny and it's interesting and it's the sort of stuff that you don't often get told. But actually, I think it is also, it was a really important public service because I know th things have changed rapidly even over like the last two or three years, haven't they? Because yeah. Of, like Kate Mia and Davina and documentaries mm. but like like really recently you just couldn't get any information about and people that you didn't know you didn't know yourself that, that, that no. there were various things that were um that it was all uh that it, you know the estrogen declines post 40 so if we're getting very anxious that it might be about that and I just yes. I didn't know that until I was about 49 and a half it'd yes. be helpful if I'd known that when I was 42 and it would have been a lot less anguished in those mm. intervening years yeah um, so I think that I do think there's this, I think just any information that, well, I want to say helps women, but I was talking to my cousin and her husband, uh, actually my cousin and his wife recently, and he's, and he was very brilliant. And he said, he said, like, if this was happening to men, it would have been fixed a long time ago mm -hmm. um, because it's everyone, isn't it? It's women, but it's also the yeah. people that live with women and just the, yeah. Not knowing. Been, and I mean, what's, what's been interesting to me is I'm now 61. So I'm sort of, I'm well into the age bracket and I've got these two opposing forces. One force was people like you who actually do take an interest in this kind of thing and are very medically aware. And you have actually been saying to me for a couple of years, HRT type things, you've been analyzing yourself and, 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 you know, thinking about it. But in the other force is all the women, the generation, uh, ahead of me, my mother's generation, who were very frightened of it and had been put off it and had been told, if you take HRT, your leg will drop off or you'll, you know, grow a beard or, you know, actually quite seriously, you know, you'll get ill. And they were allowed on it for a bit if they were really bad, but then they had to come off it once they retired from work because they didn't need it anymore because they weren't going out to work, that kind of thing. And I think as well, definitely the moral dimension that it was like weak and feeble to need. That like you yes, you've got to tough it out. And carry on. Yeah. So I had those two things going on, and the, the narrative that suited me was all this stuff. It's just your weak pelvic floor because you've had a couple of kids, and you just shouldn't laugh as much, and you shouldn't drink as much caffeine, and you've just got to wear a pad. And so it's really nice that you know. People like Davina, people like Kate Muir have started talking about it because I think that's really brilliant. And of course, I've joined. I've 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 joined the bandwagon. But I, the other day, I was I was taking a lot of praise. I have taken a lot of praise for, you know, showing this side of women's lives. I, I've been quite smug and happy to to take the praise. But then I was I was really annoyed the other day because I now think of it as one of my things. And I saw Mariella Frostrup doing this on Instagram, going, hello, guess what I'm doing? Yes, I'm doing pelvic floor exercises. And I thought, no, Mariella, there's enough of us in this, this is crowded market now. You carry on with your book stuff. This is for me and Davina and Kate Muir. That's enough now. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is out there.
Thank goodness. Which is very good. Yes, yes it very is very good. good. Uh, tell me, so um, the one of the other great joys for me in reading it was the presence of your children in the diary, yeah. who I know in real life, and it's always a great pleasure to me to spend time with them in real life, and I enjoyed them on the page. Tell me a bit about um, deciding to put them in the diary and what they uh, what they thought about that. Well, they were in, obviously, because I was writing it just for me. So they were very much in. They both live in London. They were a, a very short scooter ride from my new house, my my new lodgings. So I saw them a lot. And like most young people, they're delightful. You know, young people just are bloody lovely. And, um, you know, if young people had been as lovely as young people are now, when I was a young person, I think I might be a bit more sorted um they're just so kind and nice to each other and generous and funny um i couldn't not have them in I, they're very different my son is a politics student and my daughter is or was until very recently an art student so they satisfy two very different sides of me um and Debbie took to them she the thing about Debbie Mogark as a landlady is she's one of those people who she just loves a hustle and bustle in the house everyone's welcome so the people were coming in she would love it if they turned up I mean, you know some landladies they might you know just think oh no who's this now but Debbie was very welcoming she loved them um both of the kids I mean I'm saying kids they're now 21 and 23 so they're grown-ups but they're my kids um both work at um a cafe that's co-owned by Sam Frears, who I was the nanny to in Love Nina, he co-owns co this cafe uh, with Andrew O'Hagan. And that was a quite a nice place for me to go and work. I'd go and sit with my computer there. So I was sort of, I'd kind of gate crashed into my kids' lives. There, I'd come back to London, there I was. Then I'm in the cafe where they work part-time. But I, always, I sort of slightly defend myself. Somebody asked me, an audience member asked me a question. Oh, you know, how did they feel about it? And the way they said it, it was like, how did they feel about it when you turned up uninvited? Um, and I said to her, this quest, person giving the question, I said, well, it was up north. I said, well, if they were at university in Durham, I wouldn't have turned up because... I don't know Durham, but I do think I'm allowed to come to London, whether or not two people I'm related to live there. In fact, lots more people than that I'm related to live there. Um, but yeah, I think they were delightful. I, and I asked them, do you, you know, do you mind um being in this diary? And they they immediately said they wanted to be in it. Uh there's a bit of my son's online dating activity in there. I mean, you know, just the chit-chat about it, nothing too personal. But um and I said to them, you know, you're quite young to suddenly be in this, what's obviously going to be very successful. <laughs> Do you, you know, you sure you don't mind? And they were, no, they were delighted and they've been delightful and they've come on a few, um, to a few book events with me and people have been delighted to see them. So, yeah. That's lovely. I rather hope that, because um, of Alfie's online dating, I rather hope that um, maybe he'll meet, a, you know, someone nice will read the book and maybe okay. he'll write him a letter care of your publishers you know like a bit old school or send oh, yeah. not a digital rose but an actual rose and then an actual rose because that was funny when he said to me mum I've sent my first digital rose and I went oh my goodness and he said yeah and she's accepted it 
And I said, digitally. And he went, it's the only way at the moment. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, no, it was it was lovely. And um, once the diary got going and I knew it was going to be published, I was I was doing all sorts of exciting things with the kids for the diary. You know, the electric scooter, going to concerts, going to see films, all the stuff that I'd been too lazy to do. So it, it actually, knowing the diary was going to be published, it actually made my life a lot richer <laughs> now someone um a mutual acquaintance of ours was emailing me about something else recently and said how much she'd enjoyed the diary and said that um she'd noticed that she'd you'd had lots of good reviews she said but she felt that none of them were picking up on the way you really brilliantly capture the melancholy of life along with mm. the humor and i replied straight away saying yes completely agree i think most of the reviewers are kind of missing the point because they're only seeing the comic bit which admittedly is brilliant and kind mm. of dazzling i can see why they do one of the things I love about it so much is that I really think it is a book where all life is here. It's so it's so easy to read because it is so funny. But equally, I just I again like all of life thrums through it, doesn't mm. it? You yeah, you think I so? think it does. I mean, there's a couple of things that I mean, there's that where because I was writing it for myself, I mean, I it's not a misery mem, but I do say when I'm feeling sad and and, I, and it was a bit of a shock. It's It was a self-imposed massive change, but even though it was self-imposed, it was quite, it was quite difficult to negotiate London again after so long away. And I sort of, I wrote in the diary that I felt that London hadn't forgiven me for leaving 20 years ago. And I felt like a soap star who'd gone off to the West End to do Panto. And then I hadn't, I hadn't made it and I had to come back and the writers are now giving me a horrible storyline where someone's going to swindle me. Um, but also, I mean, the other thing, I mean, I do um, put my some of my gloomier moods in there, but I also, there's another whole thing that runs through it that, again, I might have taken out once I knew it was going to be published. And it's this sort of punctuation of social media because I look at Twitter, I'm not on Twitter much, but I, I do look at it from time to time. And I look at Instagram and I'm really lucky compared to some people. I know some people can't be on it because they get awful things and they see awful things. But I, I see, you know, jeggings and 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 the jute rug reimagined and, um, you know, how to thrill your friends by buying them a set of musical spoons you know, so my my social media experience is actually quite nice. So I'd I'd be writing something quite philosophical about I don't know um, moving how moving moving a long way away and you know how to make sense of life and being sixty and and I'd uh, I'd then say suddenly say oh it's National Pickle Day <laughs> and there was that kind of you know gently musing meandering and then suddenly a because that's how life is, isn't it? Anyway, when I went to take all of those out, again, I thought, no, that's quite nice because there's little bits of current affairs, little little nuggets of current affair. Um, and and lots of uh, quite um, gram-worthy things happened. I mean, the Queen died. Coolio died, you know? Yeah. What else happened? Hilary Mantel died. Yeah. So there were lots of things that, and it, that was quite a, a useful way of me delivering the news because I'm very interested in diaries, other people's diaries, you know, authentic people, not 
not just Adrian Mole and and Bridget Jones. I like also, you know, Virginia Woolf and and uh, Samuel Pepys and uh, and Alan Bennett, of course. And I thought when I looked back, actually, this is a clever way of me not having to say it. Mm. And I didn't want to be too too political, but I wanted to be a bit political. So I just find the really nice juicy stories that made that showed what was going on. I mean, there was one bit that my was well, a few bits that my publisher wanted to that made me take out. And one was it said that Quasi Quartain was coked up at the Queen's funeral. <laughs> But that was an actual tweet. And I was saying, no, it was an actual tweet. It was an actual tweet. And they said, no, you can't, we can't have that tweet in. But I did have that kind of thing in when I wasn't accusing people of being coked up. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, so yes, all life was there, is there. Mm. I'm going to, because that's very ties in with one of the questions we've had. And I would like to um, urge our audience towards the Q&A box as well, because mm. it's lovely to see a lovely big range of questions. So do feel encouraged please you just pop them in the Q&A box so this one is how much editing and reshaping happens when you prepare a diary for publication so as you just said there were some things that the publisher made you take out tell us a little bit about the that you know that that question about yeah. editing and reshaping well uh, it's, a, it's a great question because of course it's as much or as little as you want and obviously you can't libel people you can't say someone was coked up at a funeral um even if they were probably uh, <laughs> Um, and you have to, if you've written about any real people, you have to then approach them and say, are you happy with this? And obviously it depends for me, it depended very much. I mean, if, if, if you and Meg Mason and Alan Bennett, um, had said, oh no, we don't want to be in there at all. Take us out. Then I might think, nah, actually, you know, without these exciting, interesting people saying and doing interesting things, you know, what sort of, what's the point I guess you might think that. Um, how much editing did I actually do? Not not a lot, uh, particularly for the first bit of the diary. Um, it's it's just me rambling about Debbie using the hose, um, and and you know talking about Debbie's garden and that Satnam must have been really lazy to let the shrubs die and how I'm desperately trying hard to. To, to keep the garden alive, even in that terrible heat. And also saying, I mean, I was a, quite mischievous with Debbie and I did think we might have to do something with that, but she's so cool. There's a bit where I say, I have to do the housework behind her back because she's such a feminist. She can't, women shouldn't waste their time doing housework. And she certainly doesn't do any. So I'd have to wait until she went out and then plump the cushions. So I, I was then talking about myself being this wonderful flatmate, housemate, because not only do I clean up, but I do it secretly like an elf. So, yeah, I I, I didn't do an, an awful lot of editing. I took out anything libelous and anything anybody didn't wasn't happy with. There was that person in Jersey who wasn't happy. Um, that I, I've told you about before, Kathy, this person who told me off for saying that Jersey was a tax haven. And then when we when I sent that piece to the, this person this piece of the diary they felt uncomfortable and and I would never want anyone to feel uncomfortable there's no joy in it for me if it's it's entirely light-hearted and fun and if anyone feels uncomfortable it's 
it's it, it spoils it I don't I would never want that no and that's what I meant about it not being it's not it doesn't feel to me that it's unkind like not about me or indeed about anyone it's kind of I don't quite know what the word is it's because because mocking isn't the right word either because all those words that you might use sound like they might be unkind yeah I mean it is a bit um, teasing 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 can can very quickly morph into bullying yeah. and, so, and laughing at people and that's just not funny and not nice and I think it's something that we did you're, you're much younger than me but we certainly did a lot of teasing and mocking in the in the 80s and 90s and thought it was very very funny I mean it was became a a huge part of our culture was literally hoping someone would trip over so you could laugh at them and I think we know better than that now and um certainly I would never want anyone to feel uncomfortable or laughed at um and so I, I hope I've got the tone right I think I have I did get told off by a bookshop the other day because one of my friends in the in the book in the diary says that she saw this bookshop getting um an Amazon delivery and and I didn't think they'd read the book but they had read the book and they were really cross about it <laughs> And I don't think they're stocking my book because of it. And I think, God, you're a radical bookshop. You've probably got people doing murders in books. But just because <laughs> I've got a friend who said that they saw you getting an Amazon delivery, get over yourselves. <laughs> God. Uh, so Lucy's asking, She's Lucy says, I dream of a city sabbatical. How do you feel being back in Cornwall? And could that be a sequel? It probably couldn't be a sequel because I'm back in Cornwall. But I sort of think I might end up back in London. I think I now spend a lot of time on my own and I'm not sure Cornwall is a good place for someone like me who's not used to living on my own. I haven't practiced being on my own. So I think, yeah, it's a good idea, a sequel. What do you, I tell you what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I'm hoping that somebody, let's say, the Sunday Times or Horse and Hound <laughs> or, I don't know, Saga magazine, mm -hmm. asked me to do a, a, a column mm -hmm. because I really enjoyed writing the diary. I've really, really enjoyed it, and particularly once I knew it was for publication. Mm -hmm. I got very good at spotting um, people putting their cigarette out in my tiramisu, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and I became a bit like David Attenborough, you know, Oh, Things yeah. would miraculously happen. And I suppose it was probably for everything, wasn't it? Because do you find, uh, I find like when I'm writing a novel, I become really interested in the sort of people that are in the novel, for example. Mm. And I kind of ignore great sections of interest because that's not what I'm writing the novel about. And then mm. later on, I think, hang on, I've been in a situation where I've seen this, this and this, and I wasn't paying attention because yes, in my head exactly. I'm talking about that other thing. Yeah, and I guess the exactly. nice thing about writing the diary the way you've done it is it's just been... Yeah, and I think I really love diaries, um, reading other people's diaries, and I the, the, the thing I love about it is that you don't get bogged down with a lot of explanation in a way it's easier because it's episodic you open up you can read as much as you like and it almost doesn't matter what's gone before but but almost contradicting myself you also are expecting a bit more of the reader because if I've got if if Francesca suddenly turns up 
I'm not going to explain in my diary exactly who that is and why she went to the market. Mm. I think you've just got to accept that she just went. Mm. Whereas in a novel, for some reason, you have to you have to have a whole bloody run up to why somebody does anything. I mean, I've had this I've had brilliant copy editors um, I've had four novels published and I've had they've been very, very methodically, meticulously copy edited. And I've had copy editors saying to me, this is the first mention of Bob. And I think well, there's got to be a first. You can't, he, he, I, I'm sorry he wasn't on page one, <laughs> you know. And so I just love that. I don't there's no there's no what's that word? Exposition. Yeah, yeah and I'm not I'm not a big plotter I don't love particular I mean I love the odd really tightly plotted book I love Mick Heron slow horses and all that and that's very plotty and I love that and I love a bit of you know Agatha Christie but that's not what I do as a writer and I'm not very good at it when I do plot it's very clunky mm. I mean <laughs> it's awful so I think this could be the new way for me yeah, I like Diaries it. all the way. <laughs> Jane is saying, at the start of your gap year, you were writing a novel. How's it going? Oh, it's going quite slowly. Um, did, was it Jane that asked that? Yeah. Yeah, Jane, I have to say that there's quite a few mentions of me writing the novel in the diary. Quite often I'm I'm writing, the I, I say, what have I done today? I've been writing the novel. Well, you have to remember, and again, circle of trust, everyone. My editor was reading this. So I had to say I was writing the diary, uh, writing the novel. Um, it was actually quite hard to write the novel. Um, but also another thing was that when I read the, no the diary back, I thought, oh, my goodness, I seem like a rich tourist just wandering around, having lunch and, you know, buying fruity soaps. And I just thought I, that, that's just not me. I'm not a, a rich tourist. And so I had to. The diary is very authentic, apart from where I'm saying I'm writing the novel, because I probably wasn't. But I am doing it now, Isabel. That's very good. And that actually makes loads of sense because thinking about it and having read the diary and of course having been there for a lot of it, I'm only just realising that, that there were lots of times where I thought like, gosh, she's really getting on with that novel. I don't remember any reports of any like actual progress. And, and <laughs> if I did it by the date, I could say like, oh, she said she was writing the novel this morning, whereas actually I know she spent three oh, hours talking to me well, was, and talking about was, serial or what. It was too hard. And the thing was... Living with my landlady, Debbie, she really did work very hard. She wasn't in London all the time. She was a lot of the time in, in her house in Kent. Um, but when she was in London, she was working. She was very, she had a she had a working day, a sort of a working plan. She'd get mm. up in the morning, have a little breakfast, and then she'd work. And then she'd have a tin of soup and a cigarette, and then she'd work again. And I'd sort of go waltzing in there and start chatting and she'd, she'd look up at me as if to say, what are you doing? It's, it's, you know, it's office hours. Why are you wandering in here with a yoga mat? Um, so that made me feel quite guilty, but I still couldn't really get down to it. I did write an introduction to a novel, not my novel, another novel, but that's pretty much all I did. It was, it was, um, I was very lazy, <laughs> distracted. Um, so, 
Jane and Charlotte are asking a similar question and I'm going to take Charlotte's, but I'm just going to mention that Jane also says she loves December the 15th. Um, but of course, I haven't got a copy of the book, so I don't know. I have. Yes. Jane from Leicestershire loves December the 15th, by the way, she says. Oh. Let's find it. December the 15th. Oh, Yes. So um, St Pancras was icy and cold and all the trains were in a mess because of the strikes and Peggy and I arrived at 8.30 and then I go off. Oh yes, and I buy the big issue from a vendor. Is that what, she, is that what Jane's referring to? Oh, it's because I go to Leicester. Ah, oh, okay, Leicester, yeah, the Leicester trip. Yeah. yeah, no, it was a lovely day. I went to hear my mum singing Christmas carols at St. James the Greater Church. It was lovely. And I bought a big issue from a big issue seller and she recognised me from six months before, maybe five months before, when I bought the big issue from... And the, when I bought the big issue from her on the 15th of December, it was icy, freezing, snowy. And when I bought it from her in something like, I think it was August, it was the hottest day of the year. And it was just funny that she recognised me and she was just happy and lovely and just enjoying life. And I was like, oh, I'm freezing. <laughs> um, Charlotte's saying, what would you say you enjoyed the most about your year in London and what do you enjoy most now that you're home? What I enjoyed most about being in London is that nobody knows me sort of, and you can just sort of get on with life and not worry what the neighbours are thinking. And on a more positive note there's all the culture all the museums and the galleries and there's lots of free stuff as well I mean you could just wander anywhere and you'll find something amazing to look at and that was lovely and I do miss that I'm, I'm in Falmouth now and it is brilliant and there's a, there's a lot going on here but you can run out of things to do um, so I what I love about being back in Cornwall not so much in November, but I have really enjoyed being able to swim in the sea because I do love that. But I'm not as hardy as Kathy, who swims every day. Are you still swimming every day? I am. I was in this morning. Oh, you I'm are good. In the winter again. Yeah. yeah I'm looking without a wetsuit. Can we just add no wetsuit? No wetsuit, which isn't because I'm brave. It's because I don't like owning things. Um, so I don't want to have to lug it around. And also, the only time I ever tried on a wetsuit, I got stuck in a changing room and it was really horrible. I couldn't get out of it. Yeah, no, that's very triggering. But I do love the way that you've now given me an entry for my diary. Kathy Rensenbrink hasn't got a wetsuit because she doesn't like owning things. <laughs> See? Well, I also think that it's very funny because... In this way that the horrible thing about the modern world is that people are always trying to divide people, right? And there's enough actual already reasons why mm. people are divided, aren't there? But I find that the press don't half like to manufacture divisions. So this whole thing about whether you own a wetsuit or not, whether you use a wetsuit, people use that to try and fall out with each other. So whenever someone yes. says to me, do you have a wetsuit? I'm always very quick to say, no, I don't, but I'm not, you know, I'm always really, I always want it to be known. <laughs> I've become my diary self now, haven't I? She wants it to be known that she doesn't want, to, she's not morally superior to anyone else and not looking down on anyone else and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Whereas I'm very quick to say, Kathy doesn't go in without a wetsuit because I'm playing that game. I want you to be above. I want you to be superior. You're my friend. You don't go in in a wetsuit. But Kathy, I would say that worse than a wetsuit for these evil people, who want to divide us mm. is the dry robe. 
Yeah, yeah, very yeah. divisive. I've again. got three in this house. I've got three. One belongs to my husband and one belongs to my friend Stella and one's mine that my kids bought me when I moved back here. Mm. But I've, I, I've got an assorted, I've got a whole wardrobe of them. I love them. Which is a very brave thing to admit because some yeah. people cock a snook, don't they? Yeah, cock they do. They do. But I hope it doesn't put people off buying the diary. I just hope. I Have I mentioned it in the diary? I haven't. No. The diary. Uh, I have a feeling that hopefully this audience will be nice and will be... Oh, I can tell they are. I can feel it. Over, uh, ...over the dry road. Um, there's lots of lovely questions. Right, so this one is from a selection of numbers. So this is from 44773, who says, do oh. you, you are emotionally resilient? Which is basically 44773, a fantastic question. And I wish you could come to everything I ever do and ask me that question, because I would love to spend my life asking it to people and answering it. So... Nina Sibby, do you think you are emotionally resilient? No, I don't. I, I didn't realise how not resilient. What's the opposite of resilient? Fragile? What is it? Could be. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I don't think I am very. My thing is that makes me... Um, makes life a bit difficult for me is I'm not very good at living one day at a time. I'm not very good at not having a plan and not knowing exactly what's going to happen. That's difficult for me. Um, so what could really stop me enjoying now is not knowing what's happening next year. And I and I don't really know what's happening next year. I honestly, 10 different things could ha happen, be happening to me next year. And this is the first time for a long, long time since I was a child, probably, probably, or certainly a very young adult, that I haven't known exactly what was going to happen. And I realize, to my surprise that that's actually what could be quite exciting is actually quite frightening mm. um so that's difficult and people do ask me a lot what are you going to do where are you going to be and and it feels so stupid I genuinely feel silly saying I, I just don't know mm. I really really don't know what I do know is I really don't like living on my own so that's a bit difficult because so that means you presumably have got to find someone who will live with you. So I've, I've got to be a permanent lodger or go back to being a nanny. <laughs> Can you imagine anyone taking me on as a nanny? I promise I won't write about you. Um, so I've got to be a nanny or a, or a, or a girl groom. <laughs> or I've got to find a new husband but can you imagine? I mean, there's no way. Can you imagine looking for a now age 61, finding someone who's I mean, I wouldn't find one anywhere near as good as the old one. Yeah. There's no way. So it's really tricky. Mm -hmm. Um, oh God, I've done that awful thing, haven't I? That um Elizabeth Jane Howard did. <laughs> Didn't she say something like this on the radio? did so i'm obsessed with this so she did oh, me too. about how lonely she was and then a man wrote to her and then they had this thing and it all ended badly but she got a novel out of it called falling um oh, tracy emin was interviewed in the sunday times a couple of weeks ago and it said on the they had her on the front page and it said something like i'm 61 and want to find my soulmate and i thought be careful tracy it could be your J elizabeth jane howard moment so did elizabeth jane howard get swindled well, I think that the, um, so she writes about it a bit in her autobiography, Slipstream, and, but then but then she says, I'm not gonna write about it much here because I wrote about it all in Falling. So it's quite a clever way if you don't quite know what's the 
what she made up in the novel and what was true. So yes, I think he, he turned out to not be, as they say, as promised. But the, to yeah, the- but, I mean, I, what I think is, how could someone swindle me? I, ha- I haven't got, I, I mean, they could take two of my dry robes. I haven't got much else. Honestly, you might think, well, you probably know that being a jobbing writer, it doesn't make you very wealthy. Maybe Elizabeth Jane Howard was much more wealthy than me, probably. But I can't see what I could be swindled for. That's a very good point. So if we were writing the novelization of your mm. swindling, we'd have to yeah. put a bit of thought into that, wouldn't we? Yeah, we'd have to make me have a, a huge, um, you know, win on the horses or something. <laughs> Which would never happen because I think horse racing is horrible. But I don't uh, want to have a bad ending, so we've got to make something nice happen. You could be rescued by someone. Tracy like, Emin. It could be. Well, you could team up with her, I guess. Become colleagues uh, mm. in heartbreak. Can't massively yeah. do that. You go live with her in Margate. I bet she doesn't like being on her own. No. I'm probably not being written about either. So that's a that's a consideration. She could paint me, and I could write about her. I love it. I love it. Let's hope she's tuned in tonight. Absolutely. She'll I'm waiting to hear from her right in now. touch just afterwards. Though we really need to make sure that it is her. Don't get swindled by someone pretending to be Tracy Emin. Right, I want to do these lovely questions. So, Anne Cater. Hello, Anne Cater. Anne, hi. Are you still eating so many fish pies now you're back in Cornwall? I was craving fish pie when reading the book. Well, what Anne is referring to is the fact that Debbie is a fan of the Charlie Bigham pie. And quite often, as she would be leaving Kent to come and spend a few days in her London house where I was lodging, she would send me a text and say, Nina, be a darling and get a Charlie Bigham pie out of the freezer and put it on the radiator to defrost it for later. And we would sit and eat these pies, share these pies, watching telly in her living room. And me sitting on a carrier bag. because and they didn't have them in the Sainsbury's in Falmouth because every time I walk by it since reading the diary, I think, oh, look, Charlie Bigham's fish pie. Yeah, well, they are very nice. Um, and we would always have them with peas and or, or we might have the uh, macaroni cheese. Uh, I did get a bit fed up of the fish pie by the end of it. We did have an awful lot. And I sort of thought Charlie Bigham might sponsor the book. <laughs> because they we constantly talk about his pie range yeah. and debbie debbie's more impressed with charlie bigham's pie range than the plot of succession i mean not succession because we all love succession but there was what what did she watch there was something and she got fed up with this tv drama and she said she said well i'm very impressed with it and i said what the the plot and she went oh no the pie so she was very she was very keen on them but yeah it's no they're very, very good person do we know Sorry? Is Charlie Bigham a real person? Or do you think it might be someone pretending to be him? I don't know. I was just thinking if he's a no, he's real. He's real. Could, you know, that could be a potential housemate for you. Yeah. I could come up with new pie recipes. Could. That'd be very exciting. But no, I do. Thank, good question, Anne. I do, I do love a Charlie Bigham. And Luz is asking, couldn't your next diary or book be about your dating journey, whether in Cornwall or London? I just don't think I'll go on a dating journey. It's just, I just, I, I, I'm... I very I'm, much like to read you failing to go on a dating journey. Yeah, that I mean, I, that's what it would be. I, I don't think I'm temperamentally suited to dating in the modern way. I've, I've read a friend of mine, a, a journalist friend of mine called Mia, has written a book for Unbound about the modern dating. 
Um, and it just doesn't really strike me as something I would enjoy. I'm, I'm, I, I know other people love it. My sister met the love of her life. She was out of one marriage and she went, she went on match.com and she literally met the perfect man for her and she was the perfect woman for him. And they are absolutely devoted to each other and they're living their best lives and they've had 10 years of very happy marriage and they've got sheep and ducks and hens and, you know, they're just constantly eating cheese and having a lovely time. So I know it works. I just had to say that because I don't want to do that wetsuit thing of like <laughs> being saying wetsuits are no good. I know it works, but I don't think it would work for me. No. This well. is my only chance tonight. <laughs> Tracy or Charlie. <laughs> Oh, so I don't want to ask you because you've said how awful it is that everybody does keep asking you about what's next because you've already told us really that you um, don't know. But I, I have to give you Luz's comment, which I completely agree with, Luz, which is, she says, Nina, not being suited to it is probably what would make it very readable, which I do think. Well, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, I think it's true. Okay, Luz. I, I imagine. Is it L-U-Z? L-U-Z, yeah, isn't that nice? I wonder if it's my friend, Luz. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> oh God, it might be someone pretending to be. <laughs> um, I don't know what I, I mean, I might do that, but in terms of work, um, as I say, I mean, I would love to carry on writing diaries and, um, but, the, but partly because then you have to do things, whether it's dating or windsurfing or buying a new dog or rescuing a dog mm. um, or inventing pie recipes. So who knows? I slightly like the idea that there's some future version of you thinking, okay, well, I want a diary subject. Is it going to be dating? Actually, no, I think I'd rather get another dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that could happen. But, you know, I was thinking that men do this, men writers do this. They don't go to do, do a dating diary. They say, I'm going to carry a fridge to Patagonia mm. or I'm going to go on a bike ride to all across the whole of the continent of Africa or I'm going to, you know, wax all my hair off. They They do sort of novelty things, don't they? Yeah, and I think when men do that, nobody even asks what's happened to their wife, which I was <laughs> outraged that people are always asking you impertinent questions, including me, obviously. But like, yeah. again, it's that kind of thing where you just think, well, men could just go off on a, to, you know, decide to go up the Amazon or whatever for a year and no one would bat an eyelid, would they? They wouldn't even no. ask, so what's the state? No, of they don't. And they never have. They, no, nobody ever asked, you know, what's his face? He went on the Odyssey. Oh, Odysseus. <laughs> <laughs> right this has been an utter thrill um i'm very much in love with you luz so luz's last comment i'm going to give luz the last word pretty much which luz says i wish i was your friend but sadly i'm not i live in west cork oh thanks luz for being honest and not trying to swindle me yes um we love all of you it's been incredibly nice to be here with you this evening it's been incredibly nice to be here with you nina thank you for being so delightful thank I hope you, you. continue to enjoy the diary and uh yeah enjoy my nail varnish buying scene and all the other things that you do and all the other things that <laughs> i do um <laughs>
Thank you so much, Nina, Kathy. That was brilliant. And we can't wait to see what direction the diary goes in next, whatever that is. So please come back and tell us all about it. And remember that you can buy a copy of Nina's new book from Newham Bookshop. The details about that are being posted in the chat again around now. Um, please do log on to Fibre 15's website to find out about our forthcoming events. On the Tuesday, the 5th of December, we have Merlin Sheldrake, who will be telling us about fungi with Guy events. So do log on for that www.fibre15.com Nina, Kathy, thank you so much again and good night everyone Thank you